is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. A lot to cover this evening. I hope you'll stick with us. I want to start with impeachment. I don't know what it's going to take. I really don't. To try and shake some sense into our Republican friends in the House. I'm not one to typically hammer away at the Republicans in the House. They're far superior to the Republicans in the Senate as a group. But that said, ladies and gentlemen, there are impeachable offenses committed by this president that punch you right in the nose. That every American can understand. That affects every American, directly, some indirectly. When you listen to some of my friends on TV or on radio, go through a long iteration of monies that were given to the Biden family. You need to understand that the vast majority of Americans, their eyes glaze over. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be pursued constitutionally through impeachment. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be pursued criminally. But you're selling impeachment, which is not a criminal process. The removal of a president of the United States. And when you have an overwhelming case that is understandable to Mr. and Mrs. America, why don't you use it? Now, what's Mark talking about now? It's only a matter of time until everybody repeats it on radio and TV and maybe some in Congress. I hope so. Here's my point. I explained it briefly on Hannity. I'm going to explain it at great length on Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin. And by the way, four great guests Saturday and Sunday. Dershowitz, David Schoen, Leo Terrell, Richard Goldberg. These are fantastic guests for fantastic issues. But it'll be the last weekend shows for Life, Liberty, and Levin until the new year. We'll have some specials that are fantastic because I just finished working on them. But this weekend is the last live two shows until next year. So I encourage you to set your DVR, your smart TV, or whatever you do. Back to the point. President of the United States, for reasons I've explained, is violating the Constitution and his oath of office by not just defying our immigration laws, obliterating our immigration laws and their purpose. You say, what's going on on the southern border is outrageous. Yes, it is. It's also unconstitutional that he won't enforce the immigration laws. He doesn't get to change them by executive fiats, executive orders, and so forth, or or blowing off the law. You don't need depositions. You don't need subpoenas. You don't need documents. You don't need texts. You don't need witnesses. It's just a fact of Biden regime policy. That there's mayhem in the humanity 
of an unimaginable level taking place on the southern border. Now, you know it's really, really bad because most of the corrupt Democrat Party media won't cover it. Or they cover it a little, you know, swing into it and then swing out of it. But Americans are dying by the tens of thousands because of open borders, drugs. People are being physically abused and raped and sold into sex slavery. Women and children, elementary school age children. We don't control the southern border. That's our sovereignty. That's our country. This is by intent. This is purposeful. It's part of an ideological agenda. People say, let us impeach the head of DHS. Now, why waste your time? He's doing what Biden tells him to do. So they have an impeachment inquiry resolution that passed with every Republican for it and every Democrat against it. I read the resolution such as it is. It's very broad, and it certainly would allow the House of Representatives to consider this issue as part of an impeachment report. This should be Article 1. Article 1 in an impeachment of Joe Biden. Article 2. Without any constitutional authority whatsoever. In fact, worse. In violation of a Supreme Court ruling. In fact, worse. Undermining separation of powers by seizing the power of the purse from Congress. Joe Biden with a magic wand cost the American Treasury half a trillion dollars in student loan forgiveness, quote unquote. Student loan forgiveness. The president does not have the power to seize that authority from Congress. He defied a Supreme Court ruling. He and his administration went around two branches of the federal government under our Constitution. One that has complete control over the purse. The other that was asked to rule on it and did. And Joe Biden still stole half a trillion dollars out of the Treasury to try and pay off part of his base. That's a clear violation of his oath of office. And it's a clear violation of his responsibility to take care that the laws of the United States are executed. That's impeachment article number two. Impeachment article number three. The main responsibility of a commander-in-chief, that is the president, is America's national security. That's why he has the commander-in-chief title and responsibility. He is the executive branch. When the commander-in-chief knowingly and actively is providing aid financial support, diplomatic cover for a terrorist regime that has killed American soldiers, that has kidnapped Americans, that as I speak is trying to kill more American soldiers and attack American bases in the Middle East, that is funding 
terrorist organizations like Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis, and many more. When the President of the United States specifically hires an envoy who's a special pleader for the Iranian regime, and that envoy in turn hires people, one of whom may well be a spy, that envoy who so bad had his clearance revoked by the Biden administration. Under cover of darkness, they won't tell us why. But when the President of the United States institutes waivers on a regime that ensures that tens of billions of dollars will pour into its coffers, that in turn takes that money and helps build weapons for Russia to attack Ukraine, that has built an alliance with North Korea, built an alliance with communist China, and is funding all this terrorism, these attacks on Americans, when a president of the United States rearms this regime, rearms it, regime that targeted our former Secretary of State, our former National Security Advisor for assassination, these are collectively an impeachable offense. It's a high crime. Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 are high crimes. What's a high crime? The framers looked at, among other things, English common law. That's where they came up with the idea of impeachment to begin with. They read it. They looked at it. And what did it say? It said that an individual who takes an oath and is thereby in a unique position of authority who can affect the well-being of a society, who takes steps or fails to take steps to secure that society, has committed a high crime. That's what the word high means in that context. In other words, it's a constitutional violation. Joe Biden has done that on immigration. He's done that on the power of the purse. He's done that as a commander-in-chief who is funding our enemy. Article 3 is the third priority for impeachment. Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 and the Mark Levin impeachment are completely understandable by Mr. and Mrs. America. Let the Democrats and the media and the other members of the Praetorian Guard circle their wagons and try and protect their president. They will fail. These are black and white issues. These are good and bad issues. These are good and evil issues, right and wrong issues. And in every case, there's no need for subpoenas, documents, texts, phone records, witnesses, a matter of policy, the official policy of the Biden regime to do these things. To do these things. And then you can have Article uh, 4, which is discussed endlessly on cable, where the one, two, or three chairmen of the various committees are brought in, where they speak quickly and talk about Evan. Archer and Devin Archer and this, that, and the other. They have a very strong case, I think, against Biden. 
apparently Chuck Grassley can't see it, but then again, that's not the standard. But Chuck Grassley can see Mark's Article 1. Chuck Grassley can see Mark's Article 2. Chuck Grassley can see Mark's Article 3. And it becomes an imperative, an obligation of members of Congress who also take a different oath of office, but one that is close enough to the oath that the president takes. That they have an absolute obligation to vote an impeachment and indictment of Joe Biden for the deaths, the rapes, the chaos, the economic consequences what happens in our schools, law enforcement, with illegal immigration. They have an absolute obligation to prevent a president of the United States from seizing power under our Constitution from another branch of government. They have an absolute obligation to impeach, indict, and really remove an American commander-in-chief who is subsidizing, who is funding our enemy. Neville Chamberlain appeased Hitler, peace in our time. But he didn't send funds to Hitler. He didn't send funds to Hitler's surrogates. He didn't subsidize Hitler by lifting waivers on sanctions. He didn't subsidize Hitler through international organizations. But that's exactly what Joe Biden is doing. The Islamo-Nazis in Tehran, in Gaza, in Lebanon, in Yemen, and all around the world. The American people see it and can understand it. Even those who aren't focused on politics. Article 4, the issues being discussed on the Hill and on cable and radio. They can't follow that. And when you have Democrats in the media really gumming up the works, claiming there's nothing here, lying about it, covering it up, makes it even harder. Again, it should, in fact, be Article 4 of impeachment. Because the Bidens sold Big Daddy's office. They made over $30 million. And if people don't want to believe that, they're blind to it. But people will believe and do understand the first three articles. I am pleading this case over and over and over again to the Republicans. Get your act together. You've got a strong, strong case if you do it right. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Mark Levin here, folks, with essential information about a possible digital dollar and its impact on IRAs and 401ks. Educate yourself before a digital dollar comes with Augusta Precious Metals' downside of the digital dollar report. Created due to popular demand, this report is packed with important digital dollar insights. Best of all, it shares a strategy smart investors have used to hedge against economic uncertainties like the digital dollar. Act now to learn more with Augusta Precious Metals. Do it for your financial future. Receive the free downside of the Digital Dollar Report today by texting LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N 
to 68592. Again, text LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text aid and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. You know, when you meet Lindsey Graham, very likable gentleman. Very likable guy. But sometimes our friend Lindsey says and does pretty stupid stuff. Doesn't mean he's not a nice guy. Doesn't even mean his intentions are bad. But I watched a video where he was praising the hell out of Qatar. Qatar is a monarchy, in effect. Uh, It is run by inbreds. It is a fake country that was created by, I guess, Britain not that long ago. It funds Hamas. It has protected the Hamas leadership. It funds Al Jazeera. Why would you praise these bastards? Mark Levin here, folks, with essential information about a possible digital dollar and its impact on IRAs and 401ks. Educate yourself before a digital dollar comes with Augusta Precious Metals' downside of the digital dollar report. Created due to popular demand, this report is packed with important digital dollar insights. Best of all, it shares a strategy smart investors have used to hedge against economic uncertainties like the digital dollar. Act now to learn more with Augusta Precious Metals. Do it for your financial future. Receive the free downside of the digital dollar report today by texting LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text aid and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy new year. Now back to the best of me. You know, when we come back from the holidays, begin our new year, we may have to lead a Levin surge here. To press the Republicans in the House to get this right. Sometimes I think they suffer from their own Stockholm Syndrome, Mr. Producer. They get so enmeshed and entrenched in their own weeds that they can't see the forest. Again, for the 4,000th time, I'm not saying they shouldn't pursue the selling of Joe Biden's office. It's very, very important. But there's three things they're overlooking that should be priorities in any impeachment investigation. And they're there. They're, 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 how, they're low-hanging fruit. And the impact that these things are having on the American people, it's significant. It's very significant. You know, Jim Trusty is a friend of mine. Before I knew Jim, I would watch him from time to time on uh, on Fox. I often said, who is this guy? He's damn good. 
And he is damn good. And he has his own blog, which is also damn good. And it's ifralaw.com, I-F-R-A-H-law.com. And there's a piece on there today that I saw, and I'm going to read this to you. In most U.S. district courts, the trial date for a defendant who is not incarcerated is typically many months and often easily over a year from the time of his or her initial appearance after indictment. Many trials are resolved by plea agreements without ever having set a real trial date. There's lip service to the constitutional notion of a speedy trial. The easily avoidable clock ticking under a statutory speedy trial framework, but of the single-digit small percentage of cases that actually proceed to trial, most wait 12 to 18 months or more, depending on the complexity for the actual onset of the trial. The scheduling of former President Trump's criminal case in Washington, however, is shaping out to be quite different than almost any other prosecution in American history. The guarantee of a speedy trial has its origins in the notion that the government should not lock up individuals who are presumed innocent and have them detained for months or years before given an opportunity to exonerate themselves. It can be a pyrrhic victory indeed for a defendant to serve a couple of years in jail to win a trial and learn that the maximum penalty for the crime was less than what he actually already served in a pretrial setting. And while there is a largely academic public so-called right to a speed of trial, the heart of the protection lies with the defendant. Enter the machinations within U.S. versus Donald Trump. At the August scheduling conference for this insurrection without charging insurrection case, beautifully put, Jack Smith pushed for jury selection in December in a trial in January. Trump's team asked for a highly improbable mid-2026 start date. But Judge Chunkin settled on March 4, 2024, the day before Super Tuesday primary, and a date markedly closer to Smith's high-speed suggestion. Defense counsel noted that there were millions of pages of discovery materials to sift through, and that they could not be ready that quickly. And by the way, they have a right to put on their own case, too. So that's just dealing with the government's part of the case. Not even their part of the case. But the judge displayed no sympathy for their position, at least that early into the case, and she announced an unwillingness to let a defendant's professional obligations for political aspirations in this case serve as a basis for a delay. By contrast, in South Florida, Judge Aileen Cannon has taken a more typical incremental approach to the Mar-a-Lago documents case scheduling. She's concerned the process of sifting through classified materials for use at trial, SEPA procedures, is going slowly. So while she set a trial date for next year, she's also suggested that the date is not in stone. Because she's treating it like a case, a real case. The parties will come back in court in March to give her a progress report, and presumably at that point a final trial date will be set. Judge Cannon has also suggested that it is entirely appropriate for her to consider the calendars of all the parties when it comes to setting a trial date. And he says, from my 23 years in federal courts, that desire to set a collectively acceptable trial date is the norm. 
not the exception. So what's going on in D.C. is the exception in every respect. Meanwhile, back in D.C., the defense raised the issue of presidential immunity, which was shot down by Judge Chunkin in her December 1st order. Six days later, the defense appealed the ruling to the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Typically, the Court of Appeals ruling would not likely come before early March's trial day. Consequently, the prosecutors did something quite unusual. As they calculated the calendar of the appeal, they asked the Supreme Court to jump in and make a ruling without waiting for the intermediary court's decision. The express reason for the petition, which was granted this week, that's outrageous, by the way, was to do everything possible to keep the March 4 trial date. And in explaining the need for expedited Supreme Court involvement, Smith and his lawyers wrote, quote, Nothing could be more vital to our democracy than that a president who abuses the electoral system to remain in office is held accountable for criminal conduct, unquote. Flowery and pejorative language aside, the quote does not explain the obsessive need that the case take place on the eve of Super Tuesday. More directly, the government later explains its basis as, quote, the public interest in a broad sense, as well as the constitutional guarantee of a speedy trial, unquote. I, for one, am not overly comfortable with the Department of Justice prosecutors authoritatively declaring the public's interest. We talked about this. But more fundamentally, we have to ask why in this case, and really this case only, has Merrick Garland's special counsel continuously pushed for such an early trial date? Is the prosecution's keen interest in a speedy trial one of principle or one of politics? Now, the underlying issue itself, whether prosecution of a former president for allegations during his presidency is constitutionally permissible, or whether there's a way to carve up immunity between core responsibilities and conduct essentially unrelated to holding office is an interesting and important one. And the Supreme Court is poised to make a historic and apparently expedited decision. But lost in the procedural shuffle is a Department of Justice level of aggression and an apparently similar sentiment from the trial judge that is propelling a complicated, unique, and historic prosecution along an unnecessarily fast track. Whatever the verdict and any outcome on the appeal, a rush to convict and imprison a presidential candidate before the election will cause more systemic damage to our criminal justice system than would displays of fairness and patience. Very well said. Now let me take the baton from there. That's the process. He's 100% right. Now let me go to the substance. What is this issue? Well, Jack Smith is always pushing the edge of the envelope. He's always looking for ways to twist the law, to creatively apply a law that doesn't apply, like the Klansman Act. He's always putting courts in a position to make fundamental decisions. And in the case of the district court in Washington, and quite frankly, the circuit panel, two Obama appointees, one Biden appointee, are more than happy to go along. So what's at stake? According to Judge Chunkin, Donald Trump's not a king. And just because he was president and made some decisions when he was president doesn't mean he's immune from prosecution for making those decisions when he was president. Now think about that. 
Not only has that never been litigated, think about how dangerous that is. All because they're trying to convict him in Washington, D.C. using four preposterous statutes that have nothing to do with insurrection or seditious conspiracy, even though he's arguing the case, making the case for both without having been forced to prove it on these other charges that they're bringing. That, That is an abomination. But anything goes in Judge Huntkin's courtroom because she knows, well, maybe she'll be appealed and reversed, but it'll be okay because she, in her mind, is stopping Hitler. Worse than Hitler. But back to the point. The reason sitting presidents are not to be indicted, and there's several important reasons, is not because the Constitution says it, because the Constitution doesn't say anything. It's because it's been agreed by Republican and Democrat departments of justice alike, attorneys general alike, and it's been agreed for more than half a century that you can't charge a sitting president because he is the executive branch. He's the third branch of government. You cannot allow unelected prosecutors, unelected judges, unelected trial juries to decapitate the executive branch. The President of the United States and the Vice President of the United States are the only people in our body politic where the American people vote for as a whole population, not like a senator or congressman or what have you. So number one, the thinking is you cannot allow a prosecutor or a judge to do such a thing that clearly violates the intention of the framers when they set up three branches of government. Number two, if you're just your typical defendant and you're charged of a crime, you fight for your life, you fight for your freedom, you fight for your reputation, you fight to keep your house. You have to be focused on it 100% of the time. You're up against the United States government. It has endless resources, endless prosecutors. It leaks like a sieve to the media. It's a frightening thing. Now, when you're president of the United States and you're indicted and they're trying to do that to you too, actually put you in prison while you're president of the United States, you have all these responsibilities to the country. You are the third branch of government. It's not all the bureaucracy. You're the third branch of government. You're the only person elected by the body politic as a whole. And the belief is, and it's correct, that you can't spend your time full time fighting for your liberty, fighting for your innocence, and at the same time, serving as commander-in-chief, and all the other responsibilities presented to a president of the United States. That's the second reason. Now I'll give you the third reason why a president has immunity which should carry forward to the ex-president under very specific circumstances. If you're president of the United States... And the Supreme Court rules, whether in an expedited fashion or ultimately, 
that this immunity thing goes as far as the moment there's an inauguration of a new president. After that, you have none. Well, this is a, a decision, if that's the position, that confuses two points. President Trump isn't arguing that he has brand new immunities as an ex-president. That he can do anything he wants as an ex-president, or any ex-president could do anything they want and therefore can't be indicted. Yes, they can. But if you had immunities as president, and what the prosecutor's looking at is your, your decisions, your actions, when you were president of the United States, and the prosecutor says, those protections for those specific actions do not carry forward to when you are an ex-president of the United States, that is a completely different animal. You're not creating a new immunity on a new matter, on a new action. That doesn't make Trump or any ex-president a king. What it means is the incoming or different administration cannot now indict the prior president, maybe from a different party, for actions that he took as president that were immune for prosecution when he was president. Otherwise, you undermine the entire notion of immunity. A president will be looking over his shoulder all the time. A president won't know what he can or cannot do. He cannot predict what a Jack Smith will do, what a Judge Chunkin will do, what a Merrick Garland can do. You cannot know in advance. And they throw the Klansman Act, the Enron Obstruction Act, a Federal Contractor Act, and a president of the United States, a former president of the United States. Utterly unpredictable, utterly unprecedented. So any president wants an ex-president would be a sitting duck to the criminal justice system. Because that new administration might go through all the decisions that president made, including some controversial ones, including some they disagree with, and argue, excuse me, what you did in office was illegal. Now that you're not president, we're going to indict you. Now you can understand the disastrous impact that this can have. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Mark Levin here, folks, with essential information about a possible digital dollar and its impact on IRAs and 401ks. Educate yourself before a digital dollar comes with Augusta Precious Metals' downside of the digital dollar report. Created due to popular demand, this report is packed with important digital dollar insights. Best of all, it shares a strategy smart investors have used to hedge against economic uncertainties like the digital dollar. Act now to learn more with Augusta Precious Metals. Do it for your financial future. Receive the free downside of the digital dollar report today by texting LEVIN to 68592. That's L-E-V-I-N to 68592. Again, text LEVIN to 68592 or go to AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Text aid and message rates may apply. Performance varies. Consult your financial professionals before making investment decisions and get risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Next hour, stick with me, I'm going to demonstrate 
how as a result of a decision by the circuit in Washington, D.C., Joe Biden could be subjected to hundreds, if not thousands, of civil lawsuits when he leaves office. (sighs) Mark, what do you mean? Stick with me, folks. This is cutting edge here. You can tell. I don't regurgitate what others say. They regurgitate what I say. Just stick with me. I'm going to explain how Joe Biden can be swamped, swallowed up, devoured by civil litigation. How he could lose everything he owns as a result of an outrageous decision by the circuit court in Washington, D.C., where they were trying to destroy Donald Trump's finances. Stick with me. I'm going to explain how Biden will be subjected to many civil suits when we return. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Now, Mark, you know, you had us hold on. You were going to tell us how Joe Biden's going to be sued. Let me explain. It's very simple. But these things are ignored by the media. They're even ignored by conservatives. Why? I don't know. But this is my area. This is my, my focus. It has been all my life. The circuit court in the District of Columbia, the appellate court, a panel on that court, typically a majority Democrat, because under Harry Reid and Obama, they expanded the court and they packed the court with Democrats. This is what they do. This is why a Republican, particularly a Donald Trump, really doesn't have a chance in that jurisdiction. So Donald Trump was sued. He was sued by a police officer who alleges that he was harmed on January 6th. He was sued by a member of Congress who alleges he was harmed on January 6th. Even though, despite all the investigations and the charges and so forth on the criminal side, there's simply no evidence that Donald Trump had anything to do linking him to any violence that occurred on January 6th. Nobody has been able to draw that conclusion other than to give a hyperbolic opinion, like a Dizzy Lizzie Cheney or that, but there's nothing to support it. Nothing. In fact, the evidence is otherwise. You don't offer the National Guard if you're telling civilians to violently attack the Capitol building and on and on and on. I don't want to relitigate that, but here's the point. You would think, okay, look, you can't do that. Now that Trump's out of office, he can be sued. That kind of an allegation could be made and the court ruled yes. Yes. If you can assert damages, material damages, and you have a colorable argument where you believe you can link Donald Trump to it, you have a right to your day in court. 
You believe that, Mr. Producer? So the Washington, D.C. Circuit Court, overwhelmingly Democrat, threw the door wide open and said, yes, you can sue Trump civilly, Mr. Police Officer, even though he never harmed you, even though he never told anybody to harm you, even though he's not charged with any kind of a violent crime or supporting any kind of a violent crime, you can make the allegation and you'll have standing and you can bring the lawsuit against Donald Trump. Oh, and so can you, Mr. Member of Congress. You can do the same thing. Wow. Really? So I got to thinking. Joe Biden's policies in violating the Constitution federal immigration statutes, his policies of having a wide open border have created mayhem. Mayhem have cost people in the aggregate billions. Look at the property owners on the border and beyond, the ranchers, the damage that has been done, the criminality, the assaults, the stealing, the robbing, People have been killed. People have been raped. Young people have died from fentanyl. The border's wide open. We've never seen anything like this in American history. So I got to thinking. If it is the view of the, what's considered in a strange way, the second highest court in America, the circuit court in Washington, D.C. It's not formally, but it's thought of that way because it hears all these cases involving the government. Well, then that applies to Joe Biden. And in fact, it applies to Joe Biden much more directly than the ruling of that panel on that circuit court against Trump. What do I mean? Joe Biden's policies of having an open border are intentional. Joe Biden's policies of breaking immigration laws, as well as the Constitution, therefore, are intentional. Joe Biden knows that the consequences of his policies lead to violence and death and so forth and so on. The statistics don't lie, and you're not blind to the video. Joe Biden has been asked over and over again, please uphold the immigration law, secure the border. He will not do it. There is a more direct and material link between Joe Biden and what he's doing and the anarchy and mayhem and so forth that's occurring in our country. On our southern border and now our northern border. So anybody who has a colorable claim to damages, whether it's property damages, whether it is financial damages, whether it is physical damage to individuals, murder, rape, assault and battery. According to the D.C. Circuit Court, according to the Washington, D.C. Democrat Court, you have a cause of action, a civil cause of action with real damages against Joe Biden. That's what the court said. They didn't say only against Donald Trump. No, no, that's what the court said. 
And so I would encourage people out there, when Joe Biden leaves by hook or by crook, to consult a competent lawyer. To look at the precedent that was created by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals panel. Read the decision. And then cite it. And if competent counsel agrees, competent counsel agrees, sue him. For damages. In federal civil court. As a matter of fact, sue him in state court. I mean, that seems to be okay. They brought a RICO case involving President Trump. I'm sure in Georgia and elsewhere, you can bring a civil case. If they can bring a criminal case at the state level, you could probably bring a civil case against Joe Biden, I would argue. So the door is wide open now, Mr. Producer. Wide, wide open. And if the Supreme Court is stupid enough, and I don't put it past the Chief Justice... He's got a spell over this Barrett. She's been a complete disappointment. And Kavanaugh, depending on the day, can either be a hero or a coward. It just depends. If this court rules, either by expedited decision or even through the usual appellate process, that a president's immunity for acts that he undertook as president, as president, does not follow him as ex-president. Again, we're not talking about new actions as an ex-president having immunity. Obviously, that's not the case. Then Joe Biden can be indicted by the next administration for anything they think he should be indicted for because the immunity of the official actions like it or not, that he took as the time of president will no longer be protected from criminal prosecution when he's out. That's how dangerous that precedent is. But these courts are creating precedent now that can and must be applied to Joe Biden, the Democrat administrations. They must be, if we have any hope of getting our criminal justice system back. I remember many years ago, a few decades ago, there was the independent counsel statute. It was passed in 1978. Good government statute, don't you know? Barney Frank. I, never, I don't know what happened to him. Carl Levin. A reprobate. Partisan hack. Both of them. This was their statute. And everything was being criminalized. They created a special court where independent counsel cases would go, where cases could be heard. An independent counsel was independent, literally, from the executive branch. Any oversight whatsoever could spend whatever he or she wanted. There was no way to pull it in because they were a separate entity within our constitutional construct, which clearly made it illegal. But there was only one justice, just one. When it was challenged. When the case was used against Ted Olson. Only one justice who said, no, this is unconstitutional. It was Antonin Scalia. 
All the other justices said it was fine. So the Democrats were having a blast. This law was being used mostly against Republicans. It was used against Ronald Reagan to try and take him out. They tried to take out my dear mentor and friend, Ed Meese, with the independent counsel statute. With him, they had two independent counsel investigations going. You know, they really despised him. One's not enough. And so you had all these independent counsel investigations going on. And then what happened? Bill Clinton came into office with his beautiful bride, Hildeberger, I mean uh, Hillary. And independent counsel investigation after independent counsel investigation, the statute had a hair trigger. This good government statute had a hair trigger. And even Janet Reno, who didn't want to do it, had to keep assigning one case after another after another for an independent counsel investigation. And she assigned most of them to the late and great, and I mean great, Ken Starr. The Democrats were outraged. This statute wasn't meant to, intended to apply to Bill Clinton. But it was. And you had a secret court. How do I know all this? Because I was lead counsel to, for Attorney General Meese when he left office in the Iran Contra matter. I, as part of Landmark, but I litigated the case. I litigated in front of a secret court that was created. All kinds of abuses of power committed by the independent counsel, the use of grand jury information, and well beyond. The entire statute was unconstitutional. It was, it was un-American. So both parties finally agreed in Congress, both parties, to let the law lapse. It had a time frame to let it lapse. And it died. Because of mutual assured destruction. And I'm circling back to this decision by the D.C. Circuit panel. That sure, you can sue Donald Trump if you make an allegation. You'll have standing. Just colorable. You don't have to have actual connections that Donald Trump caused the assault that occurred to this police officer. And Donald Trump caused the assault, the assault that occurred... Uh, accused that this uh, member of Congress has accused uh, Trump of being involved in sure. Okay, then the door is wide open. Anybody assaulted, anybody damaged as a result of the open border policies put in place by this president, I would argue as a civil cause of action, which will destroy the Biden family and take every single penny they have. Just the nature of the beast. The Libs and the Democrats did this. Not me. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Traveling for the holidays? Pure Talk has you covered. Because they just added international roaming to over 30 countries. That's right. Whether you're making calls from the Vatican or on a beach in the Bahamas, you're covered. From the steps of Buckingham Palace or your villa in Santorini, you dial away. And here's the best part. There is no rate increase. Pure Talk still saves the average family almost $1,000 a year with plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. And 
They put you on America's most dependable 5G network. So the coverage is second to none. So don't delay, folks. Switch to Pure Talk, a veteran-owned wireless company with simply the best U.S. customer service team. Now with international roaming to over 30 countries. Go to puretalk.com slash Levin. That's puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-M to make the switch. And you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's big. That's puretalk.com slash Levin to start saving on wireless right now. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Joe Biden has a very bad habit that costs a lot of people their lives. Funding two sides of a war. He's doing it in Ukraine. Iran is flooded with cash. Liquidity. Because Joe Biden lifted waived the sanctions on Iran. Iran is helping Russia fund its war against Ukraine. At the same time, we've been providing funds to Ukraine. But I want to focus on Joe Biden providing funds to terrorists and the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran while supporting Israel with armaments. And what he's doing now, very important. I'll be back. Traveling for the holidays? Pure Talk has you covered because they just added international roaming to over 30 countries. That's right. Whether you're making calls from the Vatican or on a beach in the Bahamas, you're covered. From the steps of Buckingham Palace or your villa in Santorini, you dial away. And here's the best part. There is no rate increase. Pure Talk still saves the average family almost $1,000 a year with plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. And... They put you on America's most dependable 5G network. So the coverage is second to none. So don't delay, folks. Switch to Pure Talk, a veteran-owned wireless company with simply the best U.S. customer service team. Now with international roaming to over 30 countries. Go to puretalk.com slash Levin. That's puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-M to make the switch. And you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's big. That's puretalk.com slash Levin to start saving on wireless right now. This is Mark Levin wishing you a happy new year. Now back to the best of me. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden's inter-anti-Semitism is starting to sprout from every one of his pathetic pores. Even his his cornrows on his forehead that he had implanted many decades ago. Now he's telling Israel, I want that ground war done in three weeks. Now he's actually withholding certain armaments from Israel. He's demanding that Netanyahu either step down or get rid of some of his Orthodox Jewish partners in the, in the government coalition. He's telling the democratically elected government in Israel to dissolve itself. He is telling the Israeli people and the over half a million people, half a million Jews who live in Judea and Samaria, you must give up your ancestral homes. You must give it up to the Palestinians. 
And so while he's providing just enough for Israel to look like he's supporting Israel, but Israel's obviously doing all the fighting. It's lost a lot of soldiers today. If it was bombing indiscriminately, as Biden accused it, it wouldn't have lost 10 soldiers in one battle today. In order to avoid killing civilians that Hamas kills regularly. And in no time during his demands on Israel, he's demanded that Israel carve itself up. He's demanded that the Israeli government, duly elected, democratically elected, dissolve itself. He's demanded that the Israeli army not hurt a hair on a single civilian's head. And now he's withholding certain armaments from Israel. And it goes on and on and on how he's undermining the state of Israel. But he doesn't want to completely lose the Jewish vote, but he's losing a lot of the pro-Hamas vote in America. It's all about Joe Biden. It's always all about Joe Biden. He's an egomaniac. He's a moron. He's a low IQ street politician. Everybody knows it. Especially him. But at no time, at no time, has he done anything to Iran. He's withholding armaments from Israel. At the same time, he has waived oil sanctions against Iran. Iran can attack our soldiers. Iran can attack our military bases. Iran can fund Hamas to slaughter Jews. Iran can fund Hezbollah for a possible another front. Iran can fund the Houthis that are attacking our ships and trying to cut off commerce. Iran can do whatever the hell it wants to us, our men and women in uniform, or to anybody else. Iran can put out can put out a contract on our former Secretary of State to have him assassinated on the former National Security Advisor to have him assassinated. Doesn't matter. Joe Biden won't push back. Period. And he's funded them. He has literally funded them. He has rearmed the Iranians. At the same time, he's funding directly and indirectly the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran that wants a terrorist caliphate that is attacking American bases and soldiers that has killed several thousand American soldiers in the Iraq war that has created horrific casualties with IEDs created by Iran during the Iraq war. You see the consequences in our own country. He's blocking armaments to Israel. He's demanding that the Israeli government dissolve itself because he insists on replacing it with a government that he can control. He rejects Israel's sovereignty. He rejects Israel's government. He rejects Israel's electorate. He rejects the hundreds of thousands of Orthodox Jewish citizens in Israel 
Joe Biden's inner anti-Semitism has now reached the surface. Anybody who will just look will see it. Menachem Begin sought it. In that confrontation he had with Senator Biden. It's there. Self-hating Jews don't want you to use the phrase self-hating Jews. And if you call self-hating Jews, self-hating Jews, they will call you an anti-Semite. This is the trick that CNN tried to pull and the White House tried to pull. But Alan Dershowitz and I, David Schoen and I, and scores and scores of American Jews know exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about Antony Blinken. We're talking about George Soros. We're talking about Thomas Friedman. I'm talking about Jake Tapper. And there are many, many more. Now that doesn't excuse the Jew haters who are not Jewish. That's not my point. But when you look around Biden, as you looked around Obama, you have a a very diverse group of Israel haters and anti-Semites and Iran lovers. Obama had them. Biden has the same crew. Mali, although he's under investigation now. Blinken. Sullivan. And many more. Obama himself. Biden himself. Biden was never a great supporter of Israel. All those decades in the Senate... You know, I had a great relationship. We never agreed on a damn thing, but we were friendly. He hates Netanyahu because Netanyahu is the Churchill of Israel. He's not going to sell out his country. It's happened too often. And you can see the New York Times relentlessly attacking, attacking Netanyahu and that government. Joe Scarborough, who doesn't know his ass from a you-know-what, Constantly attacking Netanyahu and that government and the Orthodox Jews in Judea and Samaria. Guy's a bigot in my view. Scarborough's a bigot. That's just my opinion. I just listen to what he says and his obsession with certain individuals as a way of expressing his hatred. Thomas Friedman is basically the advisor to Joe Biden in his columns and personally. And Thomas Friedman is a self-hater who is aligned with these radical left-wing organizations, front groups that Soros has created, Noam Chomsky has created. There's another one. It is what it is, America. I call them as I see it. That's what I see. Just like the surveys that are out there. One Arab, one Palestinian, even though Palestinians are Arabs. Nonetheless, one self-identifies as an Arab organization, another one as a Palestinian organization. Both of them, independently, surveying, scientifically, Palestinians that live in the Gaza Strip and Judea and Samaria and beyond 75 to 80% today support what happened on October 7th. Over 80% support Hamas. Similar numbers when it comes to destroying the state of Israel from the river to the sea. Similar numbers. I'm not supposed to mention that. 
Why wouldn't I mention that? I don't have to go along with CNN, Hamas's favorite network. In fact, one of the reasons Hamas slaughters its own people or puts its own people in harm's way to be quote-unquote collateral damage is because of CNN. CNN has blood on its hands for the way it reports. So does MSNBC and the New York Times. These things go on in order to influence the Democrats dressed up as reporters and guests and journalists and contributors on those two cable networks in the New York Times and in the Washington Post. How do we know? They do it every damn time. That's how we know. How is it that Joe Biden isn't held to account for any of this? Hamas didn't attack Israel when Trump was president. The Houthis didn't attack us when Trump was president. Trump put them on the terrorist list. Biden comes in and takes the Houthis off the terrorist list. This insane so-called foreign policy. And Biden's not held to account for anything. For any of the attacks on the American military, for any of the deaths in Gaza, for any of the deaths in Israel, and yet he has blood on his hands. And so what does he do? Do in typical Biden cowardice? He blames the victim. It's Israel, it's the Jews, it's Netanyahu. If they'd only listen to what I say, you know, Biden, if they would only do what I tell them to do, there'd be peace in our time. He's worse than Neville Chamberlain. As I said, Chamberlain didn't help fund the Nazis. Biden is funding the modern-day Nazis. He funds both sides of wars, all sides of wars. This man needs to be impeached. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Traveling for the holidays? Pure Talk has you covered because they just added international roaming to over 30 countries. That's right. Whether you're making calls from the Vatican or on a beach in the Bahamas, you're covered. From the steps of Buckingham Palace or your villa in Santorini, you dial away. And here's the best part. There is no rate increase. Pure Talk still saves the average family almost $1,000 a year with plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. And... They put you on America's most dependable 5G network, so the coverage is second to none. So don't delay, folks. Switch to Pure Talk, a veteran-owned wireless company with simply the best U.S. customer service team. Now with international roaming to over 30 countries. Go to puretalk.com slash Levin. That's puretalk.com slash L-E-V-I-M to make the switch, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's big. That's puretalk.com slash Levin to start saving on wireless right now. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Isn't it amazing? I've been giving this a lot of thought, too. They talk about MAGA Republicans. Biden, CNN, MSNBC, uh, reprobate Republicans turned Democrats, reprobate Republicans turned, well, still Republican. MAGA, as if they're Nazis. Everybody who supports Trump... Dizzy Lizzy, anybody who supports Trump, Kingsinger, the media, you might as well be wearing white robes 
and dress up like Democrats of old. But don't you dare, dare cite a scientific survey, not just one, but two, that demonstrate conclusively that the overwhelming vast majority of Palestinians in Gaza and Judea and Samaria are Jew-hating anti-Semite racists. That's what the polling shows. I challenge any media outlet, every media outlet, this coming Sunday, your reprobate hosts, both surveys, with the graphs, Show them to the American people. Show them to the world. Discuss the findings. Explain who conducted the surveys. Do it. Or are you just going to sit there and talk about MAGA? Frauds and phonies and fakes. And they were in the 30s and 40s, which helped lead to the Holocaust. When we got the Holocaust, they covered it up. Virtually every damn news outlet at the time. And their great hero, Franklin Roosevelt, wanted them to cover it up. We've been here before. This is the stench of the 1930s and 40s. This is the stench of the Democrat Party, the skunks. Everywhere they go. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Man, oh man, Shevitz. We've got a lot of territory to cover. You with me? You're the only audience that can handle it. I want to talk about the First Amendment briefly. One of the great experts on the First Amendment and other parts of the Constitution is a gentleman by the name of Nathan Lewin. Nathan Lewin has litigated in front of the Supreme Court and America's appellate courts more times than I can count. He's a brilliant man. He's taught at Harvard in Columbia, and Georgetown, and University of Chicago. But he, with his brilliant daughter, they run their own firm. They bring their own cases. 
big, big cases, big Supreme Court cases, big First Amendment cases. So he wrote a piece in JNS.org, JNS, Jewish News Syndicate.org, explaining the First Amendment to university presidents, it's called. Shockingly, the presidents of Harvard, Penn, and MIT do not know that the First Amendment does not protect anti-Semitic hate speech or support for terrorism. In the wake of the astounding testimony before Congress by the presidents of Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, three important questions must be asked. Number one, why are the presidents of leading American universities abysmally ignorant of Supreme Court rulings on the limits of protected speech under the First Amendment. The presidents claimed in their testimony that anti-Israel and anti-Semitic protesters, quote-unquote, on their campuses are only exercising their constitutionally protected right to free speech when they call for an intifada and chant Hamas's battle cry from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Both clear calls for violence against Israelis and Jews. Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, repeatedly declared that her university will act only, quote, when speech crosses into conduct, unquote. She might be surprised to learn that not a single Supreme Court justice, not one, agrees with her. In fact, it's unlikely that the three presidents have bothered to read the most recent definition of First, of First Amendment speech guarantees as exercised by all nine Supreme Court justices, albeit in various opinions. Not one of the justices believes that threats and incitement have blanket constitutional protection and cannot be punished unless they, quote, cross into conduct. This is the Sonny Houston on The View, another pathetic buffoon, and the other legal analysts on TV who don't know a damn thing. It's incredible. That's why you're here. We know a lot of things. On June 27, the United States Supreme Court decided a case titled Counterman versus Colorado, which dealt with harassment on the social media site Facebook. The case generated much discussion precisely because it dealt with the issue of what limits can be placed on speech protections. All of the justices agreed that the Bill of Rights does not guarantee any right to send threats over social media. None. Nor did they hold that the First Amendment entitles a speaker to say anything so long as it does not, quote, cross into conduct, unquote. The justices differed only over how relevant the speaker's intention might be to the question of criminal penalties. A majority in the court, speaking through Justice Elena Kagan, said that expressing a threat would be a crime if the speaker uttered it with, quote, reckless disregard, unquote, for how it would be understood by the listener. Four justices differed only in part. All the justices agreed that freedom of speech does not protect a speaker who makes a threat with reckless disregard for the listener's fear of violence. And we have more than fear of violence. We have actual violence and threats going on on these campuses. Jewish students locking themselves in rooms, locking themselves in their dorms, in the libraries, in attics, not wanting to go to class. Lewin writes, the campus protesters in question are obviously guilty of reckless disregard for the fears of their Jewish fellow students under the most recent Supreme Court rulings. They can be charged with crimes and punished accordingly. 
that the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the former president of Penn are ignorant of this is shocking. Number two, why are major donors to these universities only terminating future grants rather than demanding that billions of dollars in past donations be refunded? Benefactors who've given huge donations to Harvard and other universities with enormous endowments have announced publicly that they will not continue to contribute to these institutions because they promote and fail to control anti-Semitism. It is possible that this may influence public declarations of university administrators who are unhappy that the flow of funds has been interrupted. But given the vast resources of these institutions and the contributions likely to come from anti-Semitic and anti-Israel sources, it will only have a modest impact. A far more powerful response would be for major donors to file lawsuits seeking to recover the billions of dollars they've donated in the past. They could do so on the grounds that these donations were secured by false representations that claimed the universities were providing proper, meaningful education to their students. And I might add an important footnote here. Parents who've paid the tuition of their kids to be students at these universities, they would have the same cause of action with different facts. The same cause of action to get their tuition back. For example, Harvard's original charter of 1650 stated its students will be taught knowledge and godliness, quote-unquote. Contributors have now discovered that Harvard does not abide by this charter. Instead, it egregiously violates it by nurturing hate and violence against Jews, as such donors are legally entitled to recover the funds they were convinced by Harvard's false representation to provide. Again, same with the students. And three, and finally, why are no federal grand juries investigating the probable violations of American anti-terrorist laws committed by organizers and participants in pro-Hamas public protests? In 1996, in 1996, Congress enacted the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act, which makes it a criminal offense to provide, quote, material support to foreign terrorist organizations, unquote. Violating this law can be punished with a long prison sentence. The Supreme Court, with Chief Justice John Roberts writing for a six-person majority, upheld the law in 2010 and rejected claims that its restriction of, quote, material support, unquote, for terrorism violated First Amendment rights of free speech and free association. The case is Holder versus Humanitarian Law Project in 2010. Advocating for a terrorist organization and supporting its activities, even if they constitute otherwise lawful protest, violates this provision of the Federal Criminal Code. Organized protests supporting Hamas, accompanied by costly printed signs, customized uniforms and caps, the Palestinian flags, assuredly qualified as, quote, material support, unquote, for Hamas. And I bet if they look further during discovery, they'll find money there, too. So Nat Lewin asks this. Why has the Department of Justice under Attorney General Merrick Garland, a descendant of Holocaust survivors, failed to initiate a federal investigation into these probable violations of America's anti-terrorism laws? Why has no, not one, U.S. attorney impaneled a federal grand jury and subpoenaed witnesses? These are just some of the questions that an American lawyer must ask in these turbulent times. And now he has set the record straight. 
as I have, quite frankly, on the First Amendment. These threats are not protected. These mobs and what they are, and what they are arguing for is not protected. The Supreme Court has said so. Every member in their own way has said so. And under Joe Biden and Merrick Garland, not a single U.S. attorney has brought a single charge against anybody. Nobody. What about some of these faculty members that go out there and celebrate these threats and the violence and Hamas, a terrorist organization? I said before, we're not required to fund this. In America, we're not required to provide safe havens for homegrown and foreign supporters of terrorists and terrorism and turn the other cheek. That's not academic freedom. That's not free speech. That's quite the contrary. And so things that can be done are not being done by the Department of Justice, by Joe Biden. By not a single U.S. attorney in the United States, not one of the 93, none of them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. Go to helixsleep.com, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com, and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched to the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. They have a 10-year warranty, and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash Levin, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and use code HELIXPARTNER20. That's HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long, folks. With Helix, better sleep starts now. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. I think Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah have awakened a sleeping giant in a horrific way, of course. Israel has warned Hamas. Now, once they defeat, excuse me, Hezbollah, I think Israel's had enough of this crap once and for all, even though the United States keeps funding the wrong party. But Mark, they gave arms to Israel. Well, then why are you giving funds to the terrorists? Elise Stefanik just posted this. The Democrats are circling the wagons around the these presidents of these universities, giving aid and comfort, therefore, to Hamas and for anti-Semitism. The Democrat Party in America does hate America. I've tried to explain it at great length, both here on TV and certainly in my book. And Representative Elise Stefanik tweets the following, Desperate and deranged Democrats are now attacking us for uniting the country around calls for these university presidents to be fired. Here are the facts. 
Congresswoman Kathy Manning approached me on the House floor with a rough draft for a joint letter to the boards of MIT, Harvard, and Penn. I told her I would like to review and would likely have many edits to strengthen the language. My office sent back significant edits to the Manning office, who went radio silent while we circulated it among Republican members. Our offices then decided to go in different directions with two separate versions of the letter. When Representative Manning did not want to call for the firing of the president's among other significant edits, she refused to accept. This is something that happens every day on Capitol Hill. Our updated version of the stronger letter with significant edits got much more bipartisan support because it was the right thing to do. Because Kathy Manning got much less support for her weaker letter, she's now trying to do a hit piece to help panic Democrats who are clearly on the wrong side of history protecting these university presidents. While the mainstream media is refusing to cover the actual plagiarism of Claudine Gay. What about that, Tapper? Tapper's such a puke. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. He's a fraud, a phony, and a fink. Wolf Blitzer. Same damn thing. Mika Brzezinski. An IQ of negative 74. Which is at least better than her husband, Joe with a negative IQ of 178. He is sort of the anti-Mensa, if you know what I mean, Mr. Producer. He's like the anti-Mensa. He's a clown. There's a lot more going on out here, too. Uh, let me get to this. Hold on one second. The computer has computed out. 500 faculty members have come to the defense of gay. She's credibly accused of plagiarism. Even before she was credibly accused of plagiarism, her scholarship was almost non-existent. She is a DEI-appointed president. That's who she is. She doesn't have the grand qualifications to be the president of Harvard, and Harvard could care less. Harvard's busy discriminating, discriminating against Asian Americans, blocking so many of them from getting admitted into their college. Very, very busy protecting the Hamas network and the Hamas-supported fac faculty and students from doing what they do. And there's a great piece in the tablet. And in the tablet, they say, well, isn't it time to get to the bottom of what Harvard actually does? With all the taxpayer money it gets, with all the donations it gets, tax deductible. Isn't it time to get to the bottom of this? I think it is. In fact, I think it's past time to get to the bottom of not just that, but all the rest of them. They take in hundreds of billions of dollars of taxpayer money with no accountability whatsoever. That's going to end. That has to end. In my opinion. Americans' views of Hamas and Israel, with Republicans' support for Israel, is very, very strong. Very, very strong. Hamas, the militant Palestinian group, opposition to it a lot, 65%, a little... 
And you know most of those who... Majorities of both Republicans and Republican-leading independents, 73% say Hamas has a lot of responsibility for the conflict. Democrats, 50% are more than twice as likely as Republicans to say the Israeli government. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. This is Mark Levin wishing you a Happy New Year. Now back to the best of me. Almost nine years ago, when I was on Sean Hannity's program, I had something to say about Obama and anti-Semitism. Of course, Media Matters, when they highlighted it, thought they were smearing me. No, we appreciate the publicity Media Matters gave us, because it's very much a pro-Soros organization, Anti-Semitic, anti-black, bigoted, anti-gay. At least that's what the president of Media Matters has been, certainly in the past, and now he tries to walk it back. But he can't walk it back. He is who he is. He's a grotesque, loathsome bottom dweller. Now, that said, here I am on Hannity almost nine years ago, March 18, 2015, cut one, go. So there you have the president with contempt and an outright loathing of the prime minister and his liberal media clapping seal audience there regurgitating basically the, the president's lines. Here's what I have a problem with, Mark. Prime Minister Netanyahu had to battle not only liberals in his own country, but the Obama machine on the ground there. The president didn't pick up the phone today, but he did call the president of Iran when he won. He did call Putin when he won. He did call Mohammed Morsi, who referred to the Israelis as descendants of apes and pigs. He called him when he took charge in Egypt. He called the president of Turkey. He called leaders when they won in China and in Saudi Arabia. Why can't he pick up a phone and call our number one ally and the only democracy in the region? Why? He just said it. He doesn't like democracy. He doesn't like Congress. He's got a pen and a phone. And when Congress doesn't do what he says, he's off doing his best Benito Mussolini. He doesn't like Netanyahu there. Netanyahu just won in a landslide. Obama's never won in a landslide. The American people rose up in November and told Obama how how they are disgusted with his programs and his policies. And what did he do? He turned around and spat in our faces. And he does the same in, uh, in 2010 when they lose the House of Representatives. Obama has more uh, ability to work with dictators and genocidal types than he does with people who are elected democratically. The fact of the matter is, Sean, and I want to say this, and this is important. Eric Holder said that this nation is full of cowards because we won't have a discussion about race. Well, I think this nation needs to have a discussion about what's going on in this White House and this administration about anti-Semitism. Because this White House, and it's reaching out to uh, to Sharpton, the Muslim Brotherhood, CARE, all these radical nutjobs and groups, their policies, which are, which are not, it's not just Netanyahu, they're willing to throw Israel over the side for the Islamic regime in, in Tehran. 
This president's former relationships with uh, Khalidi, the professor in Columbia now, uh, with Wright, the, uh, the, the so-called reverend from Chicago, this president has a lot to answer for, and his conduct is contemptible. Do and I don't care how many liberal Democrat donors who are... Hold on now. I don't care how many liberal Democrat donors he has who are Jewish. He can hide behind them all he wants. But Mr. Holder, Mr. Obama, let's have a national discussion about the anti-Semitism that reeks from your administration. You think the president's anti-Semitic, Mark? I personally do. Yes, I do. Has he demonstrated otherwise? Israel is surrounded. Israel was under attack with Hamas. His State Department puts out these preposterous statements about moral relevancy. Israel's taking missiles. This president's holding back ammunition, slow walking it. Does this sound like a guy who has a rational reason for his belief system? I don't think so. That's my personal opinion. There you go. I was right then and I'm right now. Jake Tapper gives a platform, a platform to people like this. Obama holdovers in the Biden administration, Anthony Blinken among them. And he asks questions in a way that are intended to undermine the state of Israel. Even though he's Jewish, Jake Tapper. But I've explained this issue before. I've explained this issue before. Jake Tapper has a long, long history of being a leftist, of being a Democrat, even writing for Salon, which is my view is if it's not flat out Marxist, a quasi Marxist site. And he has a long history of undermining Israel after Israel's attack by Hamas and other terrorists. A long history. He's one of these reporters that says, oh, what happened is terrible, but he's a but reporter, not B U T T, but B U T. And here he is with Anthony Blinken on his Sunday show that has literally, well, not literally, almost literally, no viewers. Cut to go. Will the U.S. continue to back Israel the way it's backing Israel right now if this continues for months and months as opposed to days or weeks? Again, Israel has to make these decisions. Of course, everyone wants to see this uh, campaign come to a close as quickly as possible. Uh, but any country faced with what Israel is facing, a terrorist organization that attacked it in the most horrific way possible on October 7th, and as I said, has said repeatedly that it would do it again and again and again, it has to get to the point where uh, it is confident that that can't be repeated. But you make another point that's very important. Mm -hmm. When the major military operation is over, uh, this is not over, because we have to have a durable, sustainable peace. Uh, and we have to make sure that we're on the path to a durable and stable peace. From our perspective, I think from the perspective of, of, of many around the world, uh, that has to lead to a Palestinian state. So let's stop. Do we have a durable, sustainable peace with the Taliban, Mr. Producer? Isn't that important? A durable, sustainable peace with the Taliban, if you listen to these people? Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about terrorist regimes and terrorist organizations. There is no durable, sustainable peace with terrorists. And I know the fiction is out there, and the media push it, and their front groups, Mediaite, Media Matters, they push it too. They want you to believe that all the Palestinians are just innocent people who want to live the good life under Jeffersonian democracy. But the Jews in Israel won't permit it. 
They won't permit it. Who's stopping them? The vast majority of the Middle East is controlled by the Arabs and Muslims. Israel's a pinprick of a country in terms of its geography. Who's stopping them? Who stopped them in the Golan Heights? Who has stopped them in certain territories controlled by the Palestinian Authority? Nobody. Who has stopped them? Hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars pouring into the Palestinians. Some of them become billionaires. Why are they refugees? Because they want refugees. When you control land, how do you have your own people as refugees on the territory that you're in control of? No other place in the world except there. Just as Hamas wants civilians killed because CNN gets off on it. That's right, I said it. The Palestinian Authority, or better, the PLO, Arafat's original organization, they want refugee camps. Oh, Mark, what are you talking about? It's widely understood that the leadership of the PLO steals the money, turns over portions of its economy to its most loyal terrorists. Abbas's family members are rich, rich. They steal the money that's supposed to go to the people. That's how you have refugee camps. That's how you have. It's not Israel that's creating refugee camps. It's not America that's creating refugee camps. It's not Jews who are creating refugee camps. It's the Palestinian leadership that's creating refugee camps. It's the Palestinian leadership that puts its own civilians up front. And we have this survey from an Arab institution. I don't believe that Media Matters or Mediaite or CNN or MSNBC or the New York Slimes or the Compost or any of the rest of the media have reported on this, certainly not diligently, certainly not more than once, that gives a completely different story than the fictionalized story we're getting from the so-called press. And when you bring it up, Mr. Producer, it's, oh, Levin says there aren't any innocent civilians. I am given up dealing with radical left-wing propagandists. Unless I haven't given up every now and then when they annoy me. But most of the time, you have to give it up. Because these are sick, demented people. So there's Blinken, two-state solution. They don't want a two-state solution. They want a caliphate. I have to say it over and over again. Jake Tapper, are you an idiot? Yes. Are you a moron? Yes. Are you an imbecile? Yes. Read Hamas's mission statement. In fact, the other day, one of these Hamas Nazi leaders said so. We don't want another state. We want a caliphate. Iran has its own country. They want a caliphate. The, mother bro- the Muslim brother wants a caliphate. That's why they call for intifada. Intifada is not about another country. The ignorance of Tapper and his ilk. The outrageous propaganda of Thomas Freedom and his, his bosses at the New York Slimes. The insidiousness of Bernie Sanders' Marxism has no limits. They tell you what they want. They show you what they're going to do. 
It's not a secret. So why are there apologists in the American media? Why are there apologists in our State Department? Why are there apologists in the Democrat Party? Well, why were there in the 1930s and 40s? Same thing. Same thing. That's why you'll never know the truth about Franklin Roosevelt and what he did in the 30s and 40s during the Holocaust. That's why the media in America will never remind you of what they did. They did! Including their... Their great leader of a, of a media outlet, the New York Times. They will never remind you of that. And as I pointed out on my Fox show last night, universities in this country supporting the Nazis, supporting students coming to this country at our universities to promote Nazi propaganda. Professors promoting Nazi propaganda. These are facts. And there's books written about it. I know, I know, these people are distracted by other books that show genitalia, what you can do with genitalia. Read the books! They're out there. It's unbelievable. Then... Blinken's on ABC's This Week with Obama supporting Martha Raddatz. Cut three, go. If you're continuing to send these weapons without any accounting for how they are used except talking to the Israeli. So she is a Democrat. She's regurgitating what the radical Hamas-supporting anti-Israel wing of the Democrat party is saying. There's no accountability for Israel using these weapons. There's no accountability. Does she mention that this administration is funding Iran and there's no accountability for what they do with their money? Not a word. Not a damn word. Or Iran, the money that's flowing into Hamas and what happening with that money, using it for weapons and tunnels? Not a damn word. It's the Israeli Jews. They need to be controlled. Don't you understand? Go ahead. What other leverage can you use to make sure they take greater care in this campaign? Isn't this sickening? She's got the IQ of a 15-watt bulb, regurgitating the lines from the radical left from Bernie Sanders. It's like they're all in a cabal. They all say the same thing. They don't want Israel to win. That's the bottom line. But Israel's winning. Israel's winning, and the Hamas leadership is freaking out. And Hezbollah's picking it up. They're starting to fire more missiles. And Israel just warned Hezbollah, we'll kick your ass too. And so Raditz and the Democrats and the Marxists in Congress and elsewhere and the clowns in the media are saying, can't you control Israel? While their favorite president and administration is funding the enemy. Go ahead. Martha, we're focused on two ah, things. Shut up, you idiot. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Happy New Year. Well, here we be. Here we be. Bernie Sanders on Deface the Nation. So it's all over the Sunday shows. All over the Sunday shows, same propaganda. Why would you ask Bernie Sanders to go on national TV? Who does he represent? 
comes from Vermont, a beautiful state the size of most counties. Just saying. He's a Marxist, and yet Face the Nation wants his opinion, Margaret Brennan, on what he thinks about Israel. We already know what he thinks about Israel. He hates Netanyahu, and he keeps talking to religious parties, keeps talking about them as extremists, and Netanyahu's a racist, and he believes in apartheid, and all the These are lies. So the only reason, possible reason, Face the Nation, CBS, Margaret Brennan, bring him on is because they want him to repeat himself. Now, this is a guy that has embraced every communist regime since he was in college. Now, he'll distance itself from them once people find, wait a minute, they murdered four million people. Oh, I made it. Wait a minute. It's a guy that honeymoons in Moscow. This is a guy who supported Castro, defended Castro. But he hates Netanyahu. What does that tell Why is this man considered a legitimate voice? He's actually not even a Democrat. He's a Democratic Socialist, a.k.a. he's a Marxist. So why do they bring him on to spew his, his Israel hate? And his American hate in the past. Why do they do that? You know why. Cut four, go. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that he sees a gap between Israel's stated intent of limiting civilian casualties and reality. And the Secretary of Defense said they could face a strategic defeat given civilian casualties. Yeah, this is amazing to me. First of all, Blinken knows nothing about military, military operations. This is a man who basically was in Washington, D.C., the vast majority of his life, except for those occasions when he was at Poison Ivy League schools. And by the way, I want to thank my brothers and sisters at Fox for picking that up. It's very good. Poison Ivy Colleges. They used to call them Ivy, Ivy League schools because the ivy that grew in their buildings, you know. Anyway, putting that aside, and I'm glad that it's being repeated, by the way, it's important. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, freedom fighters all over the world, and that includes Ukraine. Our brothers and sisters in Israel. And I salute you folks. God bless each and every one of you. And I'll see you tomorrow.